So hey guys, I have a special treat today. We, me and a friend of mine, Cal, we dive deep into what it takes to be a wholehearted gay man in today's culture. We dive deep into recovery from alcoholism to finding a whole new meaning to self-love and finding love again after a four-year marriage. Here it is, Crazy Juicy Love. Okay, guys, so welcome back to the Crazy Juicy Love Podcast. And I have one of my best friends here, uh, this beautiful black man from Sweden. Uh, he's a creative director uh, for startups, and I he lives in Brooklyn. And I am so happy to have him here. We're going to get into love about with men, gay men, and just like really dive into breakups and what it takes to really find yourself back from a heartache to really finding your way to loving yourself whole and complete. So thank you, Cal, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, I really wanted to bring you on to is really talk about as gay men, you know, we don't really, at least from my experience, I don't really hear the full story or the full steps that people take from finding love again finding love within yourself after a breakup and especially you're in a relationship for with your partner for how long for like four four years four years yeah four years so you know let's start there like so talk to me about you know like that split and you know what did you what did you learn from that split and how did you even start on the journey to like really you know finding that real deep self-love like you have and like really coming from a place of joy and love and really being a representation of that every single day and being like, like walking in that every day okay. so i think my last relationship with my husband needs a little bit of context to understand fully where i was at uh what i went through and how i managed to get back to love and joy. Mm. Um, went to Provincetown with my best single girlfriend. We we're just going to be single guys there. And <laughs> what caught me off guard was this beautiful man who stood up 500 feet away from me. And I literally felt such incredible love that he was this loving, loving being. Mm. I felt it from 500 feet away. And I fell in love at first sight. Uh, I mean, not only was a handsome man, but it was the internal love that I actually could feel from that distance. And I turned to my best girlfriend, and I said, all in Speedos in Provincetown. <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm gonna marry this guy. And we just, and he laughed. I didn't laugh. Did you tell him that? I did. Wow. I did, yeah. Um, and lo and behold, um, this guy and I, we connected the next day. And we were inseparable ever since. I proposed after two months. Wow. He said yes. And it was all great. However, a month after I proposed, I found out that he was on Grinder and Scruff looking to party. Mm. 
I've been in alcoholic recovery and been a very healthy individual, successful at my recovery for the past 24 years. That does not have any place in my life. But I think with love, when it is that real love that you feel, we start to try to work with things. Mm -hmm. And I call it reacting. So, you know, he did something, I reacted. I did something, he reacted. And I'm not, I wasn't a stellar angel throughout this relationship. I'm not trying to imply that. But I'm just trying to give some context. So we tried to work with that a little bit. And I was trying to understand where he was coming from about wanting to need to party. He was younger than me. Um, but he assured me that that was out of his system. And so we kept going. We got married. Big, lavish wedding, 120 people. We were on the cover of like all these magazines, New York Times, the whole thing. Oh, and wow. it literally was a love story. Fast forward four years later, last May to be exact, I found out that he was leading a double life behind my back. He traveled pretty extensively, which posed some significant challenges in the relationship, but we managed to work through that. But I found out that he was shooting up crystal meth and hosting gangbang parties raw in his hotel rooms on every business trip for the past three years. That wasn't just hearsay. I actually have documented proof that that was the case. And I just, my, my, my soul and my heart just left my body. I just couldn't believe it. And so I ended that relationship and it was very, very, one of the most painful, one of the most beautiful and one of the most painful experiences of my life. So um, he moved out and wherever you go, there you are. So I'm here with my stuff. And the old me would have immediately just put up defenses, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty common for people who haven't worked through their stuff. But I realized that that was only gonna give me more of the same of what I've had in the past. So I decided to lean into the love that I had for him and accept my love for him, accept our beautiful relationship. And now I had to go on a more inward journey to heal myself. Um, and that began, that became, that began, began my transformation of finding true joy within myself, as well as being able to love again six months later. So do you want me to go through how that, how that Yeah, I mean, out? yeah, like talk to me about what was the catalyst because you know it, it's so easy in breakups and, you know we've talked about this before is to play the victim and but you took a what I what I want to highlight is your ability to that you took on being self-responsible for who you are and not being the victim and blaming but you really took an active part of your growth and really lean into the pain of how you were behaving so i'm just curious about that like 
how did you start to take responsibility of yourself and how you were acting and behaving? How did you start to shift that? Like, what were the, how were you before? And what was the catalyst of like, that started to shift you to where you are right now with yourself? Okay. So the initial catalyst was the meltdown of the relationship and realizing that I couldn't continue going on denying the love that I had for somebody and building up defenses. And so, as I mentioned, I leaned more into the acceptance of the beautiful love that we both had, despite the circumstances. I was going to go to Puerto Vallarta, where actually we were going to go to Puerto Vallarta together the following month. And so now I was going alone. And what really set my journey on a totally different trajectory, which led me to who I am now, as I was, so we're supposed to go to Puerto Vallarta together, and now I'm going alone, a little weird. As I'm packing this stuff in my suitcase that one night, I called up a very, very dear friend of ours, Andonios, who's such an amazing spiritual person, and I'm not religious at all. So you might hear me using some terminology coming in the future. <laughs> Uh, the way I use it is not religious. It just resonates with me from a miracle perspective. Right. And so here I am packing and I call Andonios up and I'm like, hey, Andonios. I mean, I'm not even really listening to him, but I'm like, what do I have to lose? Andonios, I need some advice. And this beautiful man just said to me, he said, Cal, focus on yourself and say, I am love. I am light. I am joy. Mm. And round that out with, I love yourself. Okay, bye. You know, <laughs> <laughs> not for speedos. Didn't even really think about it. I get to Puerto Vallarta, uh, which is a highly sexually charged environment. And as the, the elevator opened up and I'm faced with 500 beautiful men in speedos at the pool, I heard something and I just decided to recite the, the mantras that he gave me. And I said, I am love, I am light, I am joy. I love you, Cal. And my only mission for a week there was to walk up to everyone in the pool and say hello. Because I felt this, I felt this energy, this vibrational shift in me mm -hmm. where the joy was coming out as I was leaning into these mantras that symbolized love and joy. And anytime I would revert back to um, bad thinking or old thinking about the destruction of the relationship, I turn that around really quickly to the mantras because that took me back to love. So, so what was some of the old way of thinking, and then how did you, and what what you started to, to shift that with what language? Well, the old ways of thinking would have just still been in a very hurtful space, a very fearful space, and I probably would have acted out sexually. Mm which I think is pretty common. Um, but I decided to leverage his mantras. And so this is, this is where the power came in. For four days straight, I practiced his mantras. I had a great time just engaging with everyone at the pool, not expecting sex, not expecting threesomes, no thank you, but just being genuinely nice and giving my heart and my soul to these people. The miracle kind of happened on the fifth and the sixth day. 
mm. when I would bump into people on the street, in the elevator, at the club, in a restaurant, and people were just coming up to me and saying, you are radiant. You are just so giving and giving your joy and your love to people, and we are noticing this. So the shift for me, Kat, came when I knew that I was generating happiness within myself, but when the happiness inside was corresponding to the external world, I got it. I was actually co-creating love and joy with other people. Mm. And it was such an empowering, amazing shift in me because that's when I got that I can actually affect myself and affect the world by being this way. And it just kind of like put all the pieces of the puzzle together. Uh, so that was a really, that was a start of that. To round that out, I knew I needed some more work around everything. So I just dug in. I went to therapy twice a week. Mm. I read um, Gabriel Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back, which has now since become my Bible. I've read it four <laughs> times back to back. Wow. I read chapter every day. And because I was in a, see, it made sense to me because I knew what love could be like for myself internally, and I knew what fear was like internally too. And Universe Has Your Back really creates those two distinctions, love and fear. So when I got back from the trip and I picked up this book, I was like, yeah, I relate to this. So right. let me focus on this. I also read, so Therapy, The Universe Has Your Back. I also read Return to Love. I even did self-deprivation tanks. And then finally, months later, I decided that I needed something ancient and really heavy duty. And so I went to Egypt and to go seek out a shamanic healer who anointed me with oils and gave me a session and that was full of lots of crying and lots of liberation. So that has been my journey. So at the end of all of that, I chose to just stay in love mm. and not be fearful of anything that came my way, being open, being honest, being authentic and being transparent. And it, it came, it came to me six months later and it, it turned into a relationship where I have never been so authentic and honest and transparent or committed to anyone in my life. Mm. And I'm in my 50s. Nice. So when I was monogamous for six months with this guy, because we both were on the same page, no apps, none of that kind of nonsense. And I'm not trying to, you know, sex shame or slut shame anybody. Do whatever you have to do. But for me, I've had enough sex in this lifetime. <laughs> I think most gay men have. Right. So I just decided to do something different. You know, um, there's a saying in AA too, it's like, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, why do you expect different results? Right. So I chose to be the person who I always, probably always wanted to be. And that's when the miracles started happening. And I, I really love what you said too, especially I, I remember you and you recommended um, the universe has your back and we were talking about, you know, there's only two things like love and fear. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like if I really look back at even conversations or how I'm having conversations or how I'm being, it's really are those two. And it really colors the language that we're saying to people, our behavior and all those nine years. I don't think a lot of people are aware that that's how they're coming off so talk to me about like when you discovered like that because it's a huge shift if people can really get it 
like there's only two places to come from, love or fear. Like, how did that really start to like shift how you started to behave and talk and walk in in the world? Yeah. So in the book also, there's a lot of talk about um, the ego and judgment. Right. And the essentially, essentially, the ego is meant to help us survive. Right. It's a built-in mechanism of always doing things that keep you alive and that p- puts judgment in place. We judge all day long. And after reading that in the book, I decided to stop judging. And the only way to stop judging is to flip it back to love. Anytime you realize you are judging or you're in a fearful space, you have to have a mantra or some mechanism to bring you back to love because it gets you out of that headset and it becomes easier. Yeah. It becomes very habitual. And it makes you also focus on things in life that are full of love. On the subway, you can watch two, a couple holding hands and very simple things like that. So that really helped me. Anytime I go in that fearful space, I recognize it. It's okay to have it, accept it. But always just turn it, turn it around. It's called a comeback rate. Just switch that sucker back to love, and vibrationally you will feel totally different. Right. Yeah, I like it when I in my coaching practice of um, calling it a one. It's like when you give up one thing, you have to quickly replace it with the other. Otherwise, the old fear or the old way of being comes back to you, and you just <laughs> in that place again. You know, and um, and you know. I really love what you're saying too, especially within the gay community. I see a lot of men, especially with the word judgment and judgy of like, it's very, very prevalent in the gay community. You know, um, this really taking on this thing of love and fear. I mean, how do you think that like really taking on love will shift if gay men really looked at I'm coming from a place of love and fear? How do you think that would shift like just gay community in general yeah okay so again i'm just going to generalize i'm not trying to speak for the entire gay community speaking for myself and my uh lessons and my observations i need to backtrack a little bit in terms of my journey a million years ago it's i had this really small book it's probably 125 pages long Mm-hmm. And I bought it 15, 20 years ago, and it just, the title resonated with me, but I wasn't the person to actually really deeply connect with it. But it's on my coffee table right now, and I would never give it up. And that's when that book helped me get to where I am also. It's called um, Gay Men and the Need for Commitment and Healing. It was written by Dr. Richard Isay, who was a very prominent psychotherapist in New York City, still is, I think. And he was instrumental in removing um, homosexuality off the list of psychiatric disorders. So a very powerful man. What resonated with me in the book, he gives us kind of case studies of different people, of various relationship stages and what's working, what's not working. But what really resonated with me is that I always thought I was a gay man from the time I came out which in my case was 21. Um, In his book, he goes on to describe how, and this is a powerful part of helping understand like who I really was as a gay man. You know, as children, we are skewed, parents pick up on our gayness 
right. whether or not we're putting on makeup or not, but they pick up on it. And <laughs> we're, we're usually skewed more towards the male or the female. So that's an initial stage. And then because we have, we live in a hetero society and we are oppressed, we're not able to actualize our feelings. We're not able to pass notes, play footsie. Yes, the new generation has more opportunities, but not mine. So then in high school, we can't have crutches because, you know, crutches, because we're thinking we're going to get revealed or we're the only gay person around. Right. And then, you know, um, bringing a boyfriend anywhere, you call him your roommate. And in my case, I came out in Boston. My first sense of intimacy was not romance. It was dirty bookstores, back alleys, anonymous random sex everywhere. And that became my sense of normalcy. And I think that's pretty common in the gay world. I never had a chance to slow dance with a man that I loved. So he kind of really puts into respect that we are underdeveloped human beings when it comes to feelings mm. and intimacy, romance and love. So that has always resonated with me. And the way I can see that now with my growth is that I needed to work on those issues to get the love that I wanted to get the love that I want to receive as well as generate. Right. And I think in the gay world, there's there needs to be more focus on the romance, the intimacy. Like, why are all gay men afraid to get flowers and go on a date? I mean, that's fucking crazy. <laughs> you know, it's like what like what? But you're on grinder and scrub 16 hours a day. Like, do something different. <laughs> Pay attention to what you really want and what you really need. And don't have the herd mentality of like, it's a lifestyle. I will not buy into the fact that hot sex is hot sex, yes. But copious amounts of hot sex is not, in my opinion, a lifestyle without a well-rounded, intimate, loving background. Right. And so until gay men understand that the love and the romance and the intimacy can actually heal them, I think we need more of that. Right, and so I, I remember my, my last relationship, like, <laughs> my guy was like, you like flowers and stuff. So I said, I sure do. Like, why not? You know I mean? I'm allowed. Like flowers and cards and chocolate. That's right. You know, I'm allowed to have that thing. Like, I just find it very difficult that a lot of gay men, not some, not all, but some, don't allow themselves to have those things. Don't allow themselves to be that emotionally available or vulnerable is always there as a defense, always coming from a place of fear and going back to that love or fear. It's like, I I have to like get you or be catted with you before you get catted with me. Or, you have, or, or, or another common strategy is to have plan A, plan B, plan C, right? right? You know, open relationships. I'm not knocking all open relationships, but to me that displays, and I tried them, to me that displays it does not display 100% commitment to one person. Right. And I think you need that as a foundation for anything before you go anywhere else. Otherwise, just have sex. Right. Yeah, and I just see so many gay men just dive into open relationship because they automatically, well, there's a belief that, well, this is the way we are. And then they start to operate as if that is true for them. Right. But they haven't really looked at themselves and go, well, we haven't looked at ourselves because God knows I was one of those people who were like, well, I'm gay. I guess this is the way it is. Like, I'm just going to go out and have sex. I'm not meant to be in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. So even in my first relationship, 
I was like, he wanted to be monogamous. And I was like, well, why? This <laughs> is like, we're a gay men. I just like go, you know, play around. And he's like, no, that's not. I already had that, been there, done that. And, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I just thought that just the way it was because I just, just accepted that dad just the way gay men were. And I didn't really look at myself and go, is that really true for me? And not just accept what other gay men or what society says of us, you know? And then when I got into my second relationship, he was very like, there is no open relationship, not even enough for discussion. And I was like, okay. And then, but, <laughs> but I didn't even bring it up. I just was, was curious and, but I realized, like, oh, like, I don't want to share this person. I want to be with this person because the way they made me feel, the way they were, like, handling me, the way we were with each other, like, our sexual, you know, in, in intimate was just off the charts. I was like, why would I want to give that away to somebody else? You know, because um, I wanted that person for me. Right. Um, so, I mean, Jimmy, you, you, you've known me for quite some time. And, <laughs> and I'll, I'll call myself this, too. Like, I was one of the biggest whores around. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean booking them like back to back to <laughs> no joke I know I've been or, there too <laughs> right so the thing is if this person can come to a place where I can be in a committed monogamous relationship without apps without an open relationship that's a miracle for me right and it is achievable it is possible but here's, here's the thing that gets me with gay men too. A lot of people are, are in love with the idea of a relationship. Yes. Oh, I, I want a boyfriend, I need a boyfriend. Here's my stance on that. If I want to become a fireman, and I went down to the local precinct and handed them my resume, which has no fireman experience on right. it, they say to me, you don't have any experience being a fireman. Why do you want to be a fireman? It's the same thing with gay men. They don't have enough experience and background and integrity and honesty and commitment to enter into a relationship. So until you get that, it's doomed from the start. Right. Yeah, and it's a good point what you just said too. Like I remember also my second relationship, I realized, oh, this person doesn't really want to put in the work that it takes to put in a relationship. He just wants to have me like a handbag because he was very uh, into like, you know, Hermes and, you know, Gucci. <laughs> and that's what I felt like. I felt like a purse. Like, <laughs> I did. You know, he could say he had a boyfriend and then when he's ready to see me, he would call me. And then when I wanted to see him, he was too busy. And I was just like, that, that, that's not the relationship that I want. That's not what I'm committed to for love. Like, why do I feel like he can just put me down anytime he wants to? And I didn't really get it because I was so infatuated with him because he was very good looking, very attractive. And he was from, you know, foreign. And I loved his, you know, foreign accent. I was just so in love with all his, his the physical aspects of it. But then, I realized it was, wasn't until he had argument with his, one of his best friends and his best friend said to him, both, but well, actually both of his best friends were saying that you treat me like I'm a piece, like a, a, an object. Like you only want to see me when I want to see you and not want to ask to see you. You're only there when 
when you're only there when you need me to be there, but not there when I need you to be there. And I'm just like, oh, like if his best friends are saying that about him, like. Well, a lot, <laughs> along those lines too, what I've learned, another thing I've learned throughout this journey, and it took a lot of digging and self-awareness. Um, it came out in one of my therapy sessions, which proved to be a breakthrough for me. And in, I not only did this in relationships, but it, it has been a backdrop for most of my life. So most of my life plus relationships and the Eureka moment. And the Eureka moment for me was when I realized that I was giving my love to people who didn't want it. Mm. And once I saw that, I was like, whoa. And it became crystal clear to me that I will never do that again. So how does that even look? Like, what is that? Can you just paint a picture? How would you give love to people who didn't want it? Like, what, what did that even look like? What does that even look like? It looks like, um, once again, in a relationship where you're reacting to things. Right. You know? You give somebody love, but they don't treat it fairly, or they do things in the relationship that injures or damages that love for for both of you and for each other. Mm. And um, that love needs to be there with you know honesty and communication. And trust me, I wasn't the best. I was never really the honest person. <laughs> um, like I said. I'm in my 50s and I have my first committed monogamous, honest relationship. Mm. So that gives you the backdrop, the context of my life. Um, so I think we all know when our love is not being received. Right. But we try to work with it. And I'd like to use the word react to it, you know? We try different strategies or we talk again, it goes away and it flares up again. But it's pretty simple. We all know when our love is not being treated well or being handled correctly. Um, we all know it. And like I said, I tried to work with that. And now it's something I would not work with ever again. Yeah. I'm an amazingly powerful, joyful person. And I deserve to get the love that I'm going to give. And yeah. it's as simple as that. Yeah. And talk to me about therapy because I, I know a lot of gay men or people in general are so resistant to therapy what are some of the benefits that you found by going to therapy and that's like really has helped you in your life yeah so i think i like to use this example because i think people think they get better with age but you know if you're an asshole when you're 25 and you haven't done any work you're still an asshole <laughs> right yeah better asshole <laughs> with more toys and more money right <laughs> so, therapy has been i've been in therapy on and off for 15 years to me it's all about understanding where i've been where i am and where i want to go it's as simple as that and why is that important to you exactly it's like it's just opening it's just opening up the the hood of the car and it's like oh that's how it works putting it back together and being able to drive the car to a better place. Mm. Everyone could benefit from just talking to a great therapist and you will see some things and discover some things that you didn't even know were there, your blind spots. And what are some of the blind spots that you uncovered in therapy? Um, the one that I was giving my love to people that didn't truly want it. 
they thought they wanted it, but it wasn't genuine. It wasn't authentic. Yeah. Um, that's one thing I learned. And then recently um, I learned that I was always reacting to situations mm. instead of creating situations. Mm. Two big different things. And those two examples combined have really made it very powerful for me to understand how I want to move forward in the future. And then I have all this amazing love to give. Right. But I'm not going to waste time on people who don't want it anymore. It's very simple. My internal joy now is completely unconditional. Yeah. Well, in life, people compare joy and happiness. Happiness, I see as something that's external that may, can make us happy. But joy is something you can never mess with with me. It's right. mine. Yeah. And you can't control that. So anything that happens in an external world, I still have my joy that I can leverage on. And it's a very, very powerful mechanism. And I know it's me. Right. And I, I love that. Like your joy happen is not conditioned or conducive to somebody else's like thing or who they are. They're just, they're generated by you, right. you know, and they're not dependent on someone else approval because you are approving of yourself and what you are, are generating and you generating your own joy and love yeah, it, it's it's so it's so liberating because you're able to be more present yeah because i mean let's face it people you don't have yesterday and you don't have tomorrow yes that is like right now right and i'm in this beautiful relationship right now and you and i have spoken of this and it's such a transformative kind of relationship for me that I've walked into this from day one with the ability to understand that I'm becoming a better person because of this person. Mm -hmm. I'm leading with joy. I'm leading with love. And it doesn't matter if this relationship is two weeks old, two months old, two years old, or forever, or maybe not forever. That is fine with me because I'm enjoying it and nothing will be able to touch my joy internally. So mm. it's really, I'm on this beautiful ride and we'll just see where it goes. Yeah. And I really love you said something earlier. This is something that I've been diving into with, not only with myself, but like really teaching my clients or teaching people in general that people don't realize that they can create their relationship. Like people have this idea that they just go off what, what they see on TV, what they read in books and, and and bring their past into relationship. They don't realize that you can get to create your relationship. So like, what is that like for you that you're starting to create the relationship and the love that you want? Like, how are you actually doing that? Oh my God. It's, it's amazing. Um, I feel like I just like jumped in the hot tub time machine because <laughs> when I met my current boyfriend, we met on a legit dating site. <laughs> I mean, not to mock other ways of finding right, yeah, yeah. either, but well, that's you know. what I wanted to focus. There's I'm, a lot of stigma, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I want to get rid of the apps and just focus on dating. And so we met, had incredible chemistry, very affectionate, both of us, so that was great. And we decided on the second date, and this is part of creation, right? We decided on the second date to wait, hold on now, Nine <laughs> dates before having sex. Nine dates. That's nine dates. Two, like a month, two months. That that, like I don't know, maybe a month and a half. Okay. Okay. We knew we, we, knew we had the sexual chemistry. Right. So that was there. 
So it put us in a place of just romance and tenderness and communication and affection. And lo and behold, you know, a couple of weeks later, we were out at a club. It was at uh, the House of Yes in Brooklyn, crazy burlesque party. And we walked into this one small room that didn't seem like much, but I will never forget this experience. There's some chanteuse dressed up like Marie Antoinette. Everyone's half naked in corsets and everything that's French. <laughs> and she started belting out La Vie en Rose mm. in French. But before doing that, she ordered everyone in the room to grab a partner and to slow dance. Oh, you haven't danced a party yet. <laughs> and, I, and I slow danced with this man and I almost started crying because I have never slow danced with a man before. I know. With the intimacy and the tenderness and the touch. And I felt like I was 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Like I should have had that experience when I was 19 yeah. as opposed to in my 50s. Right. But it was so incredible. So that's part of the creation too. I really love that. It is so, you know, it's 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 beautiful and it's romantic and I just really love just that tender moment that you don't really see a lot in general or at least it's so closeted I think in within some you know in the gay community too and you know it's something that you said earlier um, about waiting to have sex I'm not sure was your was that intentional or did it just something that just so happened to be that way. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I proposed it, and I was like, when I said it, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, who just took over my body? Well, the reason why I'm asking that is because, you know, in my last relationship, like, that happened, like, and, and it was, it, it, it happened not because we talked about it, but, you know, he was in the Hamptons, and I was here in New York City, and so he was here once a week, so it was like, his, his window here was very short. Right. So, and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to even pressure. I want to know what it's like to not rush into having sex right away because I, that was my old way of always like, I need to know right away if it's like sexually there. I was like, at least if the kissing is good, then I can work with it probably, you know, in the bedroom. So, you know, I remember it was like almost two months. And I remember I was like, at one point, like, I want this person because we had spent so much time talking on the phone, texting, like really building this sort of intimate thing that I just had never experienced before because I was always rushing into things, rushing to get the kids, rushing to get to the bedroom because I was like, if it's not good in the bedroom, the sex is, the kissing is not good. I cannot date this person. But luckily, like that really taught me a lesson. Like I don't, like at the end of the day can i really be with this person uh conversation wise yes the kissing has to be there yeah. but can i really be there be with this person without having sex like that yeah. is important like totally so important totally get it and you know my my old way of being was like you got to see what you get it right? right but i think with me and I will all, you know what, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to be as honest as I can. This is how I want to do it in the future. Right. Because we all know to have sex. We live in New York City. You can have sex 16 times a day at your doorstep 
<laughs> like, what the fuck, people? Let's do something different. Right. right. And to me, it's given me such a, a, a beautiful gift to enjoy with this man. And right. I've learned so much about myself that, okay, maybe it doesn't have to be nine dates in the future, but that's the trajectory. That's the path that I want to walk down. Um, you know, once again, I'm not trying to shame people who just, who just have hot sex, but for me, it wasn't working. And right. I guarantee you, probably 90% of gay men, it's not working either. Right. So try a different approach. And, um, you know, was sex, here's the thing, sex doesn't have to be hot and good the first time. You know. <laughs> I mean, it was good, but it wasn't the hottest because we had to figure it out. Yeah. And we started communicating. You know, I found out some things about him that he liked that I had to get into and do research on even, you know? I, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, who is this person? And But it created this intimacy. It created a better togetherness for us. Mm. And it became ours. Yeah. I, I remember the, the, the two months waiting, like, the sex was, like, out of this world and I be and I be, and I think it was because we had built this this um this intimate established this intimate relationship with each other because I had never ever experienced like because he was so good to me and I was so good to him I just wanted to take like really take care of that person mm-hmm. in the moment I remember and we had a discussion with you know over the table when we were at that uh, that library cocktail place that we were at, you know, I remember, you know, he was, he, you know, the guy I was dating, he was like, you know, at one point, he was like, you know, it's not really about coming. It's about us being here with each other and, you know, the end result is not about finishing. And I was like, wow, like, it really blew my mind and you were saying that too. You know, I'm not sure if you were saying that, but I never had this other conversation with another girl on the podcast. She's like, yeah, you know, because particularly men are so conditioned, like, get to the end. We got to, like, you know, bust that one <laughs> and, like, we're done. But we're not actually spending time really exploring with each other. And I find that, too, is a very hindrance in dating, uh, like we gay men don't a lot. No, I would say a lot of gay men don't spend time being curious and exploring. And it, you know, tell me, like, is that when you were dating, like, what was some of the the barriers that you were coming up against? Just general dating. Yeah. Um, people who portray themselves as someone who they weren't really, who they weren't they they were weren't really that person. Um, I think it's common for, again, about the idea of a relationship. And unless you've done a lot of self-awareness and digging in that way, right. you really don't know who you are and how you're portraying yourself. You right. don't have an idea of who you are. So for me, I would come across these jokers who were like good, solid first and second dates probably. And then I start to see, I, I start to see the true colors and the way they were behaving was not what was coming out of their mouth about how they describe themselves. Example. Example, um, I like you, I know, I like where this is going, you know, I'm intimate, I like affection. And then like two or three dates later, it turns out that they just weren't able to uphold the other end of the bargain. 
Right. I or, think they, or, they were, or they were threatened about where it really was going. Right. It's going back to like the whole person that people say things that sound good, but don't actually know where or how to even produce right. that in an so, actual relationship. Right. So the thing is, what I can say now for, about me is that I have become the person I always wanted to be. Right. And that's amazingly powerful and just so liberating and so full of joy. Whereas most people, they describe a different person, but they don't realize that they actually have to become that person. Yes. It's just there. It doesn't yeah. look like that. That's right. That's one of the things like we know as a coach with the calling and the one work is something that from the very beginning you you make a list of all the things that you want in a relationship and then you have to flip and say, well, I am, you know, I am... I give myself reassurance. And so you have to start actively producing that in your own life so you won't rely on someone else. And it sounds like you also like looked at the things that perhaps um, that you weren't producing and started being that for yourself so you can bring that to the table. Yeah, I know I, I know what I'm bringing to the table now. Right. You know, before I didn't. And I expect nothing less from the person that I want to get involved with. Right. What were some of the things that you were weak at and then you started to work on to, in order to be able to bring that to the table? Let's see. Um, well, as mentioned earlier, this is the first time in my life I've been monogamous. Right. So... I've always entered relationships under the construct of being monogamous, which is really weird because I come from a single parent background. <laughs> so I had no role models around this, but I think that stems from the romantic part of me, the, rom the young gay romantic man mm -hmm. that probably had that notion when I was 21 years old. And I think it was a way for me to continuously try to create that, but I wasn't ready and I didn't have the skills to create that. Mm. So until I understood how I really worked, um, I couldn't get there, but I kept trying. I think that's pretty common in gay, gay life too. It's like, we just keep trying, we keep trying, we keep trying without kind of like fine tweaking the, the mechanisms of understanding ourselves better of how we can interact with someone better. But that being said, you have to have two players that play that game, right? right. And I was really lucky to find a, an amazing human being who allowed me to experience this. Right. And there was something um, that you were saying that, you know, that... <laughs> Let me see. Um, <laughs> I'm like, like going blank right here. So, you know, but... but I, one of the things I really love that what you're doing is, is like the self-work. And I find that... You know, for me, like recently, as I'm dating again, you know, the minute I tell people that I'm a coach, and um, they you have your shit together, huh? They expect you to have your shit together. Well, no, it becomes like a session. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and so they start telling me their problems, and then it's like, you know, and then I start to see, it's like, oh, like a lot of gay men don't do self work at all, and. Um, and I'm curious, like, why is that? Like, it, I find a lot of gay men very resistant, um, like very defensive. Like I even have a friend of mine that he was like, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. And I'm like, 
dude, you're literally dating the same man every single time. Right. Like, I think that, <laughs> I, so I think, and this comes from having lived a crazy alcoholic drug fueled life in the 90s in San Francisco, go-go boy slash model slash waiter. There's nothing I haven't done. <laughs> and on top of that, I was lucky to be alive. I lost 35 friends. So mm -hmm. I'm here to tell the story too. So I guess my point is that if the carousel just keeps spinning, all you see is this blurriness. Right. <laughs> not until it stops and it's still that you're able to see clearly and understand maybe what you're feeling. And in today's society with technology, with all the apps, with the whole like constant barrage of cocks and dicks throwing at us, you know, <laughs> people are, people need to chill out, take a break, see how you feel. Mm. And that's all it requires. See how you feel. And if you want to continue feeling that way, it'll empower you to move in that better direction. But if you're still stuck in the same thing, you have yourself to blame because you're not, right. you're not focusing on, you're not taking responsibility for how you want to feel. Right. Going along with the herd mentality. Yeah, right. And, you know, going into that now, like, I know you had an incredible journey from, you know, when you were an in, in, in alcoholic. So, you know, and that's a really huge thing that a lot of gay men deal with and um, just probably don't even know how to even get out of it or even recognize that they even have that. Probably I had a friend of mine who literally had to stop drinking because he almost had a heart attack and he was a very very thin guy but he didn't realize that drinking so excessively was huh he was drinking too much yeah he was drinking too much and his doctor said you need to like back off or you're going to die you know yeah. what i mean um so talk to me about your journey to recovery and like you know what was life like before and what was the catalyst uh, well, can you Whoa. share that moment oh of God. getting yourself clean? Oh my God, it's it's just, it's really just amazing. Um, so, I drink 1.75 liters of vodka a day. That's the big bottle with the jug, people. And I was a walking, talking, functioning human being, even at eight o'clock. I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. I slept every 48 hours and I didn't eat or work out. I'm here to still, still tell the story. I fortunately, I did it for 10 years. Wow. And I was a fucking mess. Um, I pulled a classic alcoholic strategy, which is like pulling a geographic, which meant, okay, it's San Francisco, it's not me. So I moved back to Boston, so I went back to school. But again, wherever you go, there you are. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was at the point where I had to have four, four glasses, four medium-sized glasses of vodka in the morning just to be able to function because my physiology wow. changed. Wow. And now I was really addicted and it was terrifying, but there was nothing I could do. So when I got to Boston, it was um, around Christmas time, 1995. And uh, this one woman of the family who I owe my life to, 
she um, gave me a room to stay in. But I had just, I just, I had just flown in. So the bottom line was in the morning. I didn't have my fix. And she knocked on the door just to say good morning. And this is a, this woman is a tough cookie. Like she drove cabs. She did waitressing in airports. <laughs> like she did a lot of crazy stuff. Went to Vietnam even in the 70s. And she knocked on the door and I opened up the door. And I was only like 30 something at the time. Meaning I should have looked good. But um, <laughs> she opened up the door and whatever she saw, she actually took two steps back. And she just said to me, because I was shaking and I looked like shit because I didn't have my vodka. And that's when one of the first miracles in my life happened. You know, I had been talked to many times before about me being an alcoholic and, you know, making the brides cry at their own wedding and all this crazy stuff. But as far as I remember, this is the first time that someone actually genuinely and authentically and with such incredible sensitivity to my situation asked me if I needed help. No judgment. And I broke down crying and I said, yes, please. And she arranged for me to get, you know, this is actually, yeah, this is, so now this is the first week in January and it's a, it's the trendiest time to check yourself into rehab because people have been abusing their bodies since Christmas, Thanksgiving and New Year's. Yeah, right. But she was able to pull some strings and get me into a rehab facility. And I really did the work there for three and a half months. And I, I was so terrified of where I had come from because how much my father was an alcoholic. And I just want to correct you on something, Jimmy. I'm, you use the word, you were an alcoholic. I'm still an alcoholic. I will always be an alcoholic. I just have to stay on top of my recovery. Oh. So when I, you know, because I have a very strong tolerance for, for all this stuff, I could see myself dying or going to prison at a very young age because how much more than 1.75 liters of vodka can you drink a day? It's just going to increase. And um, so when I got out of rehab, this woman pulled an amazing strategic maneuver because I was supposed to only be there for four weeks, get clean, detox. But the most important work comes understanding your behavior and your triggers and living in the real world again. And she pulled a fast one. She's like, Cal, and here I, she's like, Cal, you can't stay with me unless you stay for this part. I had no choice. I had no job, nothing. So it was one of the best moves on her part, and that's what I did. I also did one of the, one of the hardest things in my life, because I think, judging from this conversation, you know, I love intimacy, I love genuine affection and tenderness. They tell you to not get involved, intimately involved with anybody for a year. And I stuck to that rule, Jimmy. I did not date, and I did not touch a single human being intimately for a year. And why is that? Because the infatuations of dating take the focus of you and your journey. Mm. You're supposed to be focusing on how to be able to live life and maybe go past a liquor store without walking into it. You're supposed to be focusing on your pain points of like what led you to drink. Um, what were you trying to numb? You know, any overindulgence in any alcohol or any abuse or any drugs 
it's because people are trying to numb some pain, some, some type of pain. And unless they get a grip on that, you're not going to be able to help, help yourself solve that equation. So I was, you know, and then I remember when I touched someone the first time, it was like electric. <laughs> and it was just amazing. But I'm glad I did that because here I am still 24 years later, never had a relapse and I'm still sober. I can go out have fun with drink, people who drink. I can yeah. go out drinking. And I'm living life without being numb. And so if you don't mind me, if mind sharing, what were you trying to numb? Yeah, so just in short, I'm from Sweden. I found my father after 14 years in Boston, um, came here to meet him and go to school. Daddy was a very formidable and very emotionally scarred man. He was brilliant. He had a law degree, a journalism degree, and he's a practicing nuclear engineer. But he was heavily scarred by the racism in this country because he was a brown man. My mom, who was the stereotypical sweet, blonde hair, 5'11", and green eyes, um, he married her in 1964, and their relationship was illegal in 38 states in this country. Why more Americans don't understand that perspective is beyond me. I'm European, I didn't grow up with American history, but I wanted to learn how things work here so that I can move forward. So my father was very scarred from that. I didn't get a lot of love and support from my father. As a matter of fact, he kicked me out after, I, he kicked me out after a year when I told him I was gay. Hmm. So here I was coming from a very nurturing, very safe Swedish environment with my entire family. And I start this new journey with a man who was my father, who wasn't supportive, who threw me out of his house because I was gay, which led to just more of a snowball effect of where I moved into like my first boyfriend, who was like the first bad boyfriend. <sighs> and things kept snowballing from there. We did copious amounts of cocaine and drinking in the 80s. And um, then I got a phone, I came back home from the bars once and there were 32 messages on my answering machine. And I found out that my 17-year-old brother was murdered in Stockholm. Hmm. Something that never happens in that society. And, you know, it took me, when I was sober for a couple of years, I could look back and reflect upon my drinking point. And that's when it escalated. So it was really like I had no, no one to love me. I had no support system. I had no guidance for myself but to stay alive, which is that I have an incredible survival drive but that once again that's just reacting to situation, mm -hmm. not creating right um i came from a very traumatic childhood uh sexual molestation um alcoholism uh murder on top of it in living in san francisco having lost 35 people i came out of there hiv negative i have no idea how that happened so i'm always able to get through life but it was a very lonely, lonely, lonely <clears throat> journey. And I needed to numb that aspect of myself. And that's how I did it. Mm. Wow. I mean, I just love you and just thank you for just like sharing that. And like, I'm sure a lot of people can benefit from like just seeing your journey and where you've come from and what you know you've gone through and the lessons that you've learned this is the reason why i had you you know i wanted you to be on here because I, you know a lot of you know i just for me i guess i i not struggle with alcohol but like struggle with 
like wanting to when i'm on a date of finding love like er, every guy wants to like head to a bar wants to keep drinking wants to like that's the first thing that we go to and i'm just like why is this always a thing in a gay community like why just can't we just like go to the park you know or just like walk or do something that's non-alcoholic and it's like always frustrating you know um that well, that's, ask, that's, huh? that's very important in dating too like i can actually be with someone now who drinks but they have to drink responsibly right if you have two or three martinis i'm cool with that if you're having 15 you got a problem yeah, <laughs> right you know what i mean so in yeah. dating it's really important even if you're having fun and everything is new and it's crazy and it's vibrant and it's going out and all this right. energy you need to spend some downtime together to understand who you guys really are right otherwise it's all fabricated right because otherwise you're numbing yourself on a date you're not really getting to know each other you're really learning the fabrication of each other right. and um i remember going on this date with this guy and as soon as we sat at the table he's like let's get a bottle of wine and i was like because i really really want to drink i was like sure okay you know and then we finished that bottle he was like let's have another bottle and i was like red flag <laughs> i was like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about this, you know. Well, the other time with this guy, we went to a happy hour for a date. Now, it's like, please don't take me to a happy hour on a date, you know. And then we're like drinking and drinking, and it just leads to not really getting to we know each other. We're like constantly flirting, touching, and wanting to have sex. I'm just like, okay, this is not for me either. So, you know, there are I just some I find I find that. A lot of gay men don't see alternatives to first date situations, and there's so many options to. No, they do. I disagree. They do. They know it's out there. Right. They know it's out there. They choose not to. Right. They know they can go for a walk in the park. They know they can go to a museum. They can know they know they can go to a coffee shop. They are fully aware of all the choices. They just choose not to. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So we're coming towards to the end and um, I'm going to ask you a couple questions and see what comes to mind. So what does a life of love mean to you? Or what does a love, life of love looks like to you? A life of love to me now looks like having the safety and the trust and the honesty and the mutual adoration for someone that you're with that you can hold them all night long. I've never had that. It is such a powerful, powerful thing for me that I can, it, it, to, to me, it symbolizes trust and I can give that person all of me and I can receive their love as well. So that has um, been a, you know, a miraculous thing for me, although it might be very simple for other people. It wasn't very simple for me. Mm. So... Um, communication, you know, uh, and I definitely know that the commitment to each other in my current relationship has just made things better. We focus on each other. I mean, oh my God, do you know how much battery life I have on my phone now that I'm off a of scruff and grinder? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do with it? <laughs> right. I play games. <laughs> So, I mean, if you yeah. look at it from that perspective, how much energy 
you keep pouring into the same activity that just yields more sex. Right. You know, um, it's just, it's, I feel happier. I feel more fulfilled. I feel more energized. I feel liberated. I feel, I feel new. Mm. And how do you get out of your own way? How do I get out of my own way? Yep. I rely upon my mantras. Mm. I, I more or less pray it away. With, and again, that's not religious. It's just me using my my own mechanisms and vehicles to always bring me back to love. So anytime I'm in a really weird, funky spot, I identify that as fear and switch it back to my mantras and just keep it there and keep doing it. And trust me, people, there were points in my life, especially during my relationship, I was doing that all day long for days. No, seriously, it wasn't just occasionally, it was every waking moment of switching that back. It was hard, but it became a habit. Yeah. And I can go there now for that source of comfort and inspiration instead of dwelling on things that are going to make me upset. And also, I believe in the mindset, again, that, you know, I don't have yesterday and I don't have tomorrow. Right. So this whole, this whole projection aspect that most people have, I tend not to have. I don't know, it froze. God dang it. You gotta be kidding me, I don't see you, Cap. Got to be kidding me. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you see oh, me? Yeah, I can see you. <laughs> um, I could just edit that out. Uh, and so what are your mantras? My uh, mantras are, and again, I want to thank also Jimmy, while I'm at it, I need to thank you for being an incredible person in my life. I love you so much. You have also been very instrumental in my transformation without a doubt. Um, I now have people in my life who love me and do anything for me out of integrity. And likewise, so I just want to let you know and let your listeners know that you are one of those dearest people to me and I love you with all my heart. Yeah. Um, so I want to give credit to my friend Andonios who helped me go down this journey. And You know, he was the one who supplied me with my mantras, I am love, I am light, I am joy. And to say you love yourself. And this just allowed me to be vulnerable. And my life is my life, people. Right. <laughs> It sugarcoat anything, but I'm owning it. Yeah. And I love 
Andonia's for that. And that was the start of my journey. Yeah. The facilitation of your help and being a great coach and being a great friend. Mm, you're welcome. <laughs> um, and what does a juicy love life look like to you? <laughs> Like a good Saturday night. No. <laughs> no, juicy love to me is all about giving all I have mm. and making sure that it's with someone who can accept it, treat it nicely, reciprocate, and give as much love as they can give back as well. Mm. And then just continue on that journey and just see where it goes. Mm, wow, I love that. I love that. And lastly, what is one piece of advice that you would pass on to other gay men that you've learned yourself that you would happily give over to them as a lesson learned? That they're trying to find love. I would say a couple things. I would say cut the bullshit with all the sex and all the drugs. And take some time off to mm. just focus on legit dating sites and see what happens. Or not, just take some time off. Get some perspective on a different way to feel. Right. And once again, people are not slut shaming or sex shaming or any of that, but there's a different way to feel. And only you will understand that if you give yourself some time and some room to explore that. Otherwise, you're never going to, you're never going to find it, you're never going to explore it because you're not allowing yourself to see it. Right. Well, that is one thing. I would highly recommend um, reading the book, Your Universe Has Your Back. Yeah. It was a game changer for me. I would, if you are still repeating a lot of patterns and mistakes in your life, keeping the same boy, the same relationship, I mean, stop it. Right. Understand why you keep making those choices because you actually are making those choices. <laughs> right. Right? He might be blonde or a brunette, but you still made the choice and you're trying to be the same person, right? Right. And um, I would probably get a love coach such as yourself. <laughs> read more books and probably be around similarly like-minded people. You know, hang out with, you know, healthy couples to see how yeah. they interact. Look at the love that they demonstrate for each other. That could be an eye-opener too. Yeah. And I really love that what you're saying because that, you know, I too have learned so much from you since our, our relationship has begun and how open and so vulnerable I don't really see a lot of men like that and probably the reason why I connect with you so much the most is for me my own journey of like really stepping into that vulnerability stepping into that openness stepping into that authentic way of being like what you exude and thank you for being an example for me and always just like this is who I am and not being unapologetic about who you are, which I, um, which I love you so much for. Um, so I thank you again for being here and, um, I love you. Thank you, baby. I love you. Thanks for the opportunity. Good luck, everybody. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Hey guys. 
So don't forget to subscribe on Instagram at Jimmy Allen and Twitter, simply Jimmy. And don't forget to rate, rate, subscribe, comment, and share this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you guys for joining me. This is Jimmy Allen with Crazy Juicy Love. Hey guys, are you ready to call in your one? Are you ready to become wildly magnetic to the partner that you deserve and start creating that crazy, juicy love? Well, I am offering a discount package when you listen to this podcast. So when you listen to this podcast, you follow me on Instagram, you DM me and say, you listen to this podcast, and I will offer you a discount on a seven-week session. Crazy, juicy love.